Amen. Amen. Um, Second Peter, chapter two. We left off at verse four, but um, if we back up, uh, where Paul says, "Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes." Desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And then he says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. It's important that we understand um, you know, his rejection and that uh, cornerstone we've talked about and we're going to talk about more as we move forward. Very, very valuable. Also, as you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Many times when the apostles are writing, we hear hints back to things that um, Jesus taught. The effect might be on on the board, Amanda. Um, so you have the main and then uh, the two channels. It's the slider. If you started the slider closest to you, and then you go one, one, one and then the next one two, two, and the next one three, the fourth one over. That should be all the way down. Okay. So um, the echo's still on. Yeah. One moment. And it's really noticeable on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Just didn't want everybody online to think we had entered a cavernous vault of a <laughs> cathedral. Um, okay, so this living stone, you think about Jesus saying things like, um, you know, destroy this temple in three days. I will build it. Think about Jesus saying to Peter, uh, I no longer call you Simon, but I call you Peter, a small rock. And upon this, uh, you know, large rock, the statement that he was uh, the Christ, the cornerstone being referenced here, I will build my church. Uh, jump forward to the book of Revelation, see the heavenly city, its foundations, their names written upon them. Um, you know, this stone, you know, we are all fit together is, is what he's getting at. And he gets quite detailed in that explanation. So, you know, uh, that, that precious stone that was rejected, uh, you know, uh, is the cornerstone. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So we shouldn't think of it as um, like we're getting bigger and we're getting stronger, you know, built up. It's the idea of fitted together, that, that 
um, you know, what Hebrews tells us, uh, which is so critical right now with COVID and uh, the states saying that we can't meet together. Um, the, the, the biblical, the spiritual, the Christian premise that we must be fitted, physically assembled together. Um, I always use the example of Legos. They interlock. And, and you know, the idea of a stone and mortar is how we, and, and so, you know, one stone, you know, try, no, that's not going to fit. Pull that out. Try to find another one that fits. Turn it over. Flip it around. Chisel a little bit off. Okay, now that sits in. This is what has to go on in our lives is that we're coming together and stuff is grating on us. I don't like that person. I just really, I wish that I could, you know, why do they always, and, and the idea of things are being fit together. You know, may, maybe you need to fill in where someone else is lacking, you know, with kindness. Or, or maybe you need to have bitterness ground off from you. In order for, you know, and they come and, and our physically being together fits us together. That needs to happen. So many people that are like, I worship God in my own way. I stay at home. I stay away from everyone. I, I don't go to church. I don't go. To, in fact, I find God in nature, you know. Proverbs saying, look, the man who isolates himself, the woman who isolates herself, uh, you know, uh, seeks their own desire. That's totally contrary to the Christian faith, right? You want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you must become the servant of everyone. That also means emotionally. That also means spiritually, that we have to come together, be fit together, right? Challenge one another. You know, oh, that guy offends me. You know, he's always, you know, damaging me emotionally. Well, maybe it isn't him that needs to give way and be kinder. Maybe it's you that needs to be tougher, or maybe it is him that needs to give way and be nicer. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe both things need to happen. The fitting together of the body of Christ is very, very necessary. It cannot be. Right? And, and, and that's one of the unfortunate things of denominations of, I don't like those guys. I'm going to go hang out with this church. And we shop around until, oh, I'm really comfortable here. Well, maybe that's the worst thing in the world. You know, to find a place where there's no challenge, where there's no confrontation, right? Our, our human nature tends to be that way. We like the load, the road of least resistance. You know, that isn't what we're called to at all. Christ wants us to be others-minded and to be fit together in this way. It's very important. It's very significant that we take in this whole conversation that Peter is giving us here. And, and, and the significance and the importance not only to ourselves, but to the body of Christ. The chief cornerstone, we'll talk about it a little more. I'm kind of spoiling it. But, you know, we've recently talked about the, the stone that the builders rejected that has become the chief cornerstone. Uh, they would take unbelievable amount of time to make that stone perfectly square. All kinds of measurement, all kinds of detail. You know, a three, four, five triangulation, any of you that have worked in that to find square, you know, finding perfect square, right, you know, right down to the finest nuance. And, and then the stone, all of the survey would be done and the lines would be drawn and that stone would be set in exactly the
the right place. And it was usually very large. And, and the reason all of that work was done was because then every measurement in the building was taken off that one stone. You want to know where a wall was going to occur? You measure so many feet back, so many feet over, go both directions. You could go from all four directions off from that cornerstone and find exactly where everything was supposed to be in that building, in that structure. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And our coming together is the process of being fit together. You're going to lose all this stuff, right? Lay aside malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted and uh, that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as the living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built up a holy priesthood. Now listen, um, there's no need for a certain person or a certain group of people to be the priest. This message was to all. The, t the veil was torn. The priesthood was done away with, right? Uh, that, that entrance directly into the presence of God was available to all men and women. No longer did we have to go to a priest and gain access. Now we are a holy priesthood together. This isn't, okay, I'm establishing a new holy priesthood and I'll choose a very select group of people and they will be the priests amongst you all. This is a matter of if you are a child of God, uh, all of you collectively are a priesthood together. And, and you have your flock where you go out and speak and minister and share your faith with them. And, you know, someone else has a different one. And, you know, this is part of mine to be in here and preach and speak and teach as I do. This, this is each our role in our priesthood on behalf of the Lord to offer up spiritual sacrifices, not, not lambs, right? Not bull spiritual sacrifices and he's going to talk specifically about what uh, some of those are hebrews tells us that uh, you know the sacrifice of our lips you know that that is singing certainly but it's also uh, the testimony of sharing our faith and preaching the word of god and bringing our testimony to the world uh, so the sacrifice of our lips that we would go and share and minister amongst the world around us. So the spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, isn't it amazing that that's the only way any of us makes it into heaven is through Jesus Christ. It's basically like Jesus camouflage. You know, it isn't, it isn't, you get to, you know, pearly gates as they say, and there's Peter and you know, whatever you tell all your, you know, good deeds or something weird like that. And okay, I'll let you through. It's a matter of you come to the gate, you're clothed in Jesus Christ. So what does the father see? Jesus Christ. So of course his son is acceptable. So he allows him in. Why? You're clothed in Jesus Christ. Clothed in his righteousness. How is the gift acceptable? Through Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes it possible. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion... 
a chief cornerstone, and this is what I was talking about, elect, precious, he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. So interesting that uh, almost 20 years ago now, um, <clears throat> you guys know that George Washington did surveying. He was a surveyor. That was part of his career. And um, lots of different uh, things uh, pertaining to his work as a surveyor in this nation and also even in the capital design and layout. And uh, the supposedly, supposedly, uh, and I say supposedly, there's written documentation of the cornerstone of the Capitol building being laid because, you know, originally it was in Philadelphia. And so then when uh, it was constructed in Washington, D.C., uh, by then the whole idea of our nation's history was really enriched and people were looking at this as a sacred, uh, you know, establishment. So the cornerstone uh, that was laid um, had uh, engraved upon it uh, truth and justice. Okay, so uh, the stone was set, and the rest of the building constructed according to the layout of that cornerstone. Well, renovations needing to be done, and you can look all of this up. Uh, renovations needing to be done is almost 20 years ago now. Um, they had the marker as to exactly where that stone was. Uh, underground now, uh, given all the, the different changes, but the cornerstone is in place. And of course, it being so historical, they wanted to recover it and maybe even take it out and sort of memorialize the thing and search as they could. Uh, the cornerstone was never found. Truth and justice have been lost. Okay. Remarkably prophetic, poetic. Uh, in the whole process, and the, and you know, then the speculation begins of, oh no, it wasn't engraved; uh, it was just a stone, and it was named truth and justice, and all these different things. And we've got the documentation uh, to the thing. Um, it's probably still there. It's just they can't find it, right? How how prophetic, how poetic that this is where we are as a nation in the whole. Uh, situation not not like a legendary story real deal you know uh, whole organizations of surveyors were involved and you know all these different things and can't find cornerstone so you know it'd be interesting to see uh, what the lord has in mind there here jesus christ is the cornerstone okay and we're talking spiritual foundation we're talking heavenly kingdom nothing can remove this. Nothing can interfere. Let, let the church, you know, that, that which declares herself the church, uh, remeasure and move and remark and change and distort all they want to. You can't change the kingdom. You know, if you start measuring and moving things, buddy, you're outside the kingdom. You're going the opposite direction. You're measuring away from the stone. If you say, Marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. Uh, you aren't even in the right building. You know what I'm saying? As far as the church goes, you're not in the construct of what Jesus Christ has assembled. Men don't get to take part in the measuring and the laying and the fabricating of these things. Christ does this. That's it. Think about think about this, you guys, and how it challenges me and you.
I don't get to look steadily into the word of God and see it declare a certain thing to me and go, I think I'll just slide around that. I'm not, you know, I'm not really given to following, obeying, submitting that I'd I'd much rather. I more think about, I hear that a lot. People say, you know, when I think about God, I more think of him like, well, who gives a hoot what you think of him as like, right? You know, he is who he is. And the scripture declares these things to us. The measuring of this cornerstone, it is perfect, precious, exact, cannot be adulterated in any way. Uh, This is where you're going to find it, right here in the pages of God's Word. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him, capital H on that pronoun, will by no means be put to shame. As far as moving things, you guys, um, it's been said that uh, Europe is... uh, um, how is it? But Europe is 10 years left of us and Canada is five years left of us. I don't know if that's true. Okay. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, they're, they seem to be further gone, but anyway, they right now, their government is declaring this past week that it is now legal, official governmental position that genders are mythological. Mythological. So, 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 but think about this, right? They're declaring that if you try to identify or hold or insist or say that there is only male and only female, then you you are believing mythology. Think about how delusional, right? I mean, the the emperor's new clothes. Okay, I mean the the world is going stark, raving mad around us. Okay, read Romans one again. And when the Lord is saying, I'm going to give them over to a debased mind. This is literally, this is literally what he's saying. We often in the past thought of that and taught that and spoke about that like perversion, sexual perversion. I'll give them over to a debased mind. No, he's literally saying they're going to go crazy. I'm going to no longer keep their sanity for them. They want to rebel against me. I will take my hand, my protective hand, off from their heart and their mind and their soul, and I'll just let them go. And then they will spin wildly out of control. It's it's mythology now. I mean, they're literally saying, if you say that there is only male and female, that's literally like saying uh, unicorn. Leprechaun. <laughs> this is where we are. You know, five years left of us. I hope there are 105 years left of us. If that's how off their rocker they are, I hope we're not just five or ten years away from that. I hope we as a nation see that 
and where it's headed. And, and we put the brakes on that, that the nation, that the church turns around and, and looks back to this cornerstone and begins to draw its measurements from here. If we, God help us, you guys, if we do not, they're relegating the, they're relegating our relationship with God to the place where you're only going to be allowed to have it in your own mind. You will not even be allowed to let it escape your mouth, right? Well, we've had that concept that they were like forcing us back into the church, like get inside your walls, shut the door, keep that in there. They're literally growing towards the place where they're there. If you let it out of your mouth, right? China has been treating people in psychiatric facilities if they become a Christian or become a believer in God for what they refer to as the God delusion. This this is where we're headed. You know, people may not realize this, but we are headed to very, very dark places because we haven't been measuring according to this cornerstone. We haven't been following after his clear guidance. So, behold, I lay in uh, Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Right? The boldness, wasn't it in the emperor's new clothes? The boldness of the children who shouted out, the emperor is naked. You know? Everyone else is put to shame in the moment. Not the children who can see with perfect clarity what's going on. Let them declare us uh, off our rock. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, if you believe that he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For those that believe he's precious, he's the cornerstone, he's the measurement of all things, so incredibly valuable to those who have rejected the stone of stumbling, you know, the rock of offense. I'm sure, isn't, isn't it so brutal when you are in the pitch black and you nail something with your foot, barefoot, in the dark, right? I, I, I like to go for the graphic effects, but... The, uh, the two outside, you know, pinky toe, we might say, and the next one in. Years ago, I in the dark, I nailed a cinder block, right? Partly embedded in the dirt. Summertime, cruising through the yard, nailed that. It broke the toes and the bone, both the bones in my foot, right? Drove everything back. And, you know, it, it, when, you know, we're, we're all infatuated with and, you know, looking upon and gazing into Jesus Christ and enthralled with who he is and what he did and what is coming for us and just, you know, the beauty that is Jesus and, and the world has just destroyed themselves in their blindness upon him, and they are cursing and howling and demanding that the stone be removed and thrown away. You know, they, they, they are 
outraged with the stone. It, it you know the, the, it isn't just oh I don't really like that stone. Uh, it's a matter of that they have literally wrecked themselves upon it, and in in the process they're expressing a hatred uh, for this. The stone of stumbling isn't just oh, oh I kind of lost my balance there. It's a matter of. Right, that Jesus says, you know, you can either throw yourself upon the rock in humility, or it will fall upon you and grind you to powder. You can't contend with this thing; it's immovable. This isn't, you know, just a cinder block. This is, this is an entire kingdom is built upon this thing. It will never. It's in fact, right? It is eternal. It cannot be moved in the world hates it it's a rock of offense they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed now that does speak to the idea of predestination and at that point everybody wants to jump you know into calvinism or you know jump over to armenianism and uh, i was reminded today that uh, chuck smith in addressing uh, this issue calvinism had crept into Calvary Chapel and a whole bunch of Calvary Chapels in the early 90s were trying to push Calvary Chapel into Calvinism. And Chuck very graciously was just saying, look, you know, we love our Calvinistic brothers. That's not what we're about. If you want to be a Calvinist, you should just go form a Calvinist group of churches and become your own entity. It's not what we are. And that grew to where he finally addressed it in a pastor's conference and the issue was they wanted to take the name Calvary Chapel and, you know, affix it to Calvinism. So now they're saying, like, we, we want to be called, like, Calvary Chapel Re Reformation or Reformed Calvary Chapels. And Chuck said, you know, I think it would be better if you just became, like, Cactus Calvary Chapel. You know, many fine points in Calvinism. Nothing you'd ever want to grasp, you know, is the idea. Just leave it alone. You know, it, it, you know. Yes, yes, they are pointed. Why? Because it's about choice. You know, they, they they have blinded themselves. They've chosen disobedience. They do not want Christ, and the Lord is basically saying, "I'll appoint you to what you've chosen." You, you know, you could you could be appointed to the elect. You could be appointed to. John 3.16, whosoever, <laughs> you know, you could. But since that's the road you've chosen, I'll agree with you. You know, I'll confirm it for you. Yes, that's who you are. Be on your way. So, so it is, you know, I'm not trying to equate uh, Calvinists with the unsaved. Okay, uh, forgive me if I've left that impression in any way. Uh, but, you know, the idea, uh, you know, uh, the appointing is about choosing. And if you choose to reject Jesus Christ, it's going to be your appointment and it's going to be your rock of offense. But you are chosen, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So we went from holy priesthood now to royal priesthood, which is significant because we're talking order of Melchizedek. And we'll look at a couple things here. But that generation also becomes a uh, big debate for some people because they want to say, okay, that's a specific group of people. You know, you get some people get like 
uh, hyper dispensationalism all mixed up in here. Like there's a specific age where this is the people Jesus is talking about. You know, it's 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 the group that you know saw Israel become a nation. It's the group that's alive when the church is raptured. It's the group that you know. Guess what? It isn't even referring to that. It's it's talking about all of us together that are believers throughout time. Right? We are that group of people. It isn't. It isn't a specific time period or slot. It's a. It's. It's more right. We say the '60s generation. We say, you know, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, Generation X. You know, uh, Generation Z. Those are more time periods, but you also have like a group in there uh, of people, and that's the sense of you know. This is more speaking of the eternal kingdom. It's not a specific time period as much as it is to do with the belief system. We're all part of that generation. Royal priesthood. Well, there was a uh, priesthood that was not uh, part of a kingdom per se. It wasn't Aaron's priesthood. No kings there, right? But then here, prior to Aaron's priesthood, Melchizedek emerged. And we're told, right, that Melchizedek was the king of Salem. So some speculate that that's just speaking spiritually, Salem meaning peace. So he was the king of peace. And, you know, I can embrace the thought that he, he perhaps was Jesus in the Old Testament, a, a, a Christophany, as some refer to it. Sure, that's, that, yeah, that's a wonderful idea. And I even espouse to that to a degree. I can't do it dogmatically and say, Melchizedek was Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, difficult to do that with an absolute uh, frame of mind. Um, you know, personally, I think it was. But as far as doctrinally goes, I can't present that and insist, yes, that is in fact the case. You know, because when in Hebrews it talks about Jesus, it says like, like Melchizedek, like Melchizedek, without, you know, genealogy, like Melchizedek. So, you know, likened unto it's possible that Melchizedek was a physical king of a location known as Salem. Uh, point being, he was a priest. He had the elements of the new covenant with him when he came to Abraham, bread and wine. There, remarkable, before you have Aaron's priesthood, you have uh, Melchizedek's priesthood, and then he disappears just from vision, and then Hebrews he reemerges as far as explanation goes that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. Why? Because not only priest, but also royalty, king. And we are of the royal priesthood. We're not of the Aaronic priesthood. We're not of the Levitical priesthood, right? Those things touch us. Those things teach us, but right? They're all foreshadowing of Jesus, our high priest, our king is very significant when Peter is writing. Many who read this are going to be Jewish. And, you know, they're hearing priesthood and we're a priesthood and a chosen generation. But then there's a royal priesthood for the Jew. That's going to ding in the mind of, oh, well, Aaron wasn't of a royal priesthood. It's going to assign us to the priesthood of Jesus Christ and uh, his order. So the royal priesthood, a holy nation. So this extends back to that generation 
where a nation, where the generation of that nation, you know, can almost, uh, it doesn't work entirely appropriately, but the idea of ethnos, a, a group of people, is, is more what's being said in this. His own special people, right? And your King James Version says peculiar people. And uh, literally odd as it is, there are people who take liberty with that and become weirdos in the body of Christ. And when they're confronted about it, they go, well, it says right here, you know, peculiar people. So I'm peculiar and that's get used to it, you know. So rather than being fit together, they grate on everyone's nerves and use one verse to justify their misbehavior. Uh, we need to be accommodating and loving and gracious, conforming uh, to one another. Peculiar, uh, special, very significant word in the Greek language that indicates a specific point, right? with a line or a circle drawn around it to signify this is the one. Pointicular, right? Articulate, to the point, you are a particular people. You are not, not strange, weirdos, peculiar, right? For all the other that have ever existed, you are you are this group right here, you know, belonging to of the priesthood, holy generation, you know, generated by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This is who we are. You know, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of similarities between us and Abraham, right, and his offspring and their faith and all that came down. But when you come to the culmination of the faith where Jesus Christ is on the cross and says, right, it is finished. You know, he's completed all of those things to bring us into this moment, right? New covenant, right, right? Hebrews telling us why. Because the old has become obsolete, you know? You don't, you don't use the obsolete. When the superior has come, the inferior is set aside. First miracle. Right? Cana of Galilee, change water into wine. And the master of the feast says, this is crazy. Normally, they bring out the old sour wine, and we all drink old grape juice until it's all, you know, and, and you know, or we, we drink up the new, and then when it's all drank up, we they bring out the old. You've done the opposite. We've been drinking all of the old, and now you've brought out the new. Jesus is the symbol, or that's the symbology of Jesus, whole life and ministry. The old, the old covenant, the old way, the old sacrifices, the old priesthood, and then comes the new, the fresh, the living. That's what we've been introduced to. So we are a particular, a, a peculiar, a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't it uh, scary sometimes to go back and examine who you were before Christ? You know, maybe you were a pretty good person. Maybe you were absolutely terrible, right? Uh, but whoever we were, boy, like bore down into the, the thoughts of what was going through your mind before Christ. And then examine that 
you know, have you ever been someplace where it's really dark, really, really scary, you know, and just whatever. You just, and that can, that can be different things. Broke down on the side of the highway, traffic's going by at 85 miles an hour, you know, dark, scary, horrible, rainy place, you know, or just alone in the woods, don't know where you are, terrified, I don't know what. When the lights come on, when you're delivered out of that, and you're able to just be like, oh my goodness, that's all gone. And the full relaxation and relief of I am not in that place. That's where we are. Darkness is gone, right? The light of Jesus Christ has illuminated everything. And we are now in the wonderful, warm, dry, joyous fulfilled, nurturing place. You know, that which is the frightening, that which is the dark gone. In Christ, those things have been done away with. Very important for us to remind ourselves and one another of that. He who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So the generation, the nation, the priesthood, the people, you were not, right? It's, it's, it's important as our nation is being divided over race that we in the body of Christ understand we are all one. In the body of Christ, we are one. I mean, we can have the discussion, and it is appropriate, and it is absolutely true, that on planet Earth there is only one race. Okay? That's it. There is one blood, one people. We, we all descended from Adam initially, and then we all descended from Noah. Okay? Everybody on planet Earth, we're all of the same race. Now, this, this whole discussion of... You know, the animal kingdom converting as such a demonic thing. All you Christians are unscientific. You don't believe in evolution. Well, I mean, I run away from the term evolution, but if we're talking the real scientific terminologies, I utterly reject, we Christians utterly reject Darwinistic evolution. Okay? False. Uh, But as far as what science understands today, you macro, right, and micro evolution. You know, you can take Alaskan Malmute dog and breed downward, losing genetic information until you get to Chihuahua, right? Now, here's the thing. Many people do not understand this. You cannot take Chihuahua and breed back up to Alaskan Malmute. Okay, it's, it's a loss of DNA, right? Signature has been lost uh, throughout time until you end up with inferior animal, right? From superior to inferior, can't breed back up to superior. The only way to do that is reach back up in the, in the DNA chain and take something that still contains the DNA and reintroduce it to the lower. That's microevolution. Macro says that lizards became birds. That's totally false. It did not happen. It does not happen. There's utterly no evidence whatsoever that it's even possible. Everything we've studied, right, 
molecular biology, every single aspect of our existence tells us that's absolutely impossible and has never happened. Species doesn't change to another species. That's where this whole thing comes from to say certain races as we define them have you know, come from the animal kingdom and they are less evolved or more evolved than others. All that's happening within the human race is the same thing that's happening within every other species, which is microevolution. It's, it's the loss of DNA. I don't mean to promote superior or inferior in any way, right? Because most of the time when we talk superior, inferior, we're talking about mental capacity or physical capacity. And so very often, that's a roll of the dice, right? I mean, so many things go into that. Genetics play a part, but, you know, nature versus nurture. How were you raised? Where you were you raised? Okay? I mean... If you have superior genetics, but you were born into dire circumstances and mistreated and malnourished and abused and, you know, had all kinds of toxic introduction. And, you know, if you ate lead paint chips, uh, you know, for the first five years of your life, um, you know, that that might do bad things, but it's going to do bad things to your development. Live next to the nuclear power plant, swam in the coolant pond. You know what I'm saying? I mean, things can affect you. Superior, inferior, uh, when we're talking this micro thing, and as far as our culture being divided over race right now, uh, the melanin in the blackest human being, right? The DNA structure there has been lost. In us, the closer we get to blonde hair, blue eyes, the more we have lost DNA. That doesn't mean inferior, right, mentally or physically. It's just a loss of information. They have more information. We have less information. It's as simple as that. You know, and then people want to get on a bandwagon of who's better, who's worse, what's superior, what's inferior. We're all one race. We're all one race, and kindness, and graciousness, and generosity. You know, it's very important that we learn the significance of what we are in this kingdom. All the same, right? Paul specifically tells us there is no Greek. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. He even says there is no male, and there is no female. I think that's very significant, uh, for the body of Christ to understand, because even within that subject, a whole bunch of Christian men try to act and behave superior to our Christian sisters. Why? Because we've been given a specific role in the home and within the church. Yeah, we've been given a specific role. Why? Because we're supposed to be the greatest servant. The men are supposed to be the greatest servant in the church and in the home. We're supposed to lead by example, not lording it over them, is specifically what Jesus said. And then Peter reiterates, not lording it over them, but you know, serving them. You know, not by compulsion, not because of necessity, because of love. It needs to be our heart and mind. So we are a nation constructed entirely by faith in Jesus Christ. Beloved, I beg you. Now, he doesn't, the way it's uh, constructed here, some people misappropriate it. 
He doesn't uh, beg us as sojourners and pilgrims. He begs us, comma, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I'm begging you, <laughs> as people who do not belong to this planet, don't be conformed to this planet and its sinfulness, right? We, we need to understand the urgency that he's, he's putting here for us. I'm begging you that you keep this frame of mind that this is your temporary home. He very, uh, uh, I said, I think I said Paul, I meant Peter. He very rarely puts forward this sense of urgency. The, the idea of, I mean, you can see Peter down literally on his knees, hands clasped together, perhaps eyes squinted tightly shut right at your knees saying, I'm begging you <laughs> that you keep the mind frame of someone who this is your temporary home. You are passing through. That's, it has to be the mindset. It must be. Think about Abraham. Unbelievably wealthy. I mean, it's, it's difficult to put that man's wealth in modern terms. Okay? He, he had a security force. And the way that it's listed, right, his nephew Lot gets uh, kidnapped. And he sends a security detail out to find them. That that security detail, the way that it's described, he had he had two hundred Navy SEALs on his uh, security detail for his own family. These are trained for the best of their day. They are trained militaristic soldiers. I, uh, who do we know? I mean, not even know personally. Who do we know of? that has this, a personal security force of 200 trained you know, veterans, men who've seen action, know what warfare is like, and are capable of handling themselves. No, they went out and throttled everybody and, and won, right? Brought back uh, you know, the families and, and the children and the goods and the, total victory. These guys are serious as a heart attack. His wealth, is difficult to put in modern terms. I, I do all of that to say he lived in tents. He, he could have owned massive swaths of land and built amazing palaces for himself. And, uh, you know, they've, they're living in it. It's not, it's, it isn't even, you guys, that he's got like a, a caravan of well-equipped RVs. They're living in canvas tents, man. Right? Why? This world was not his home. It has been said, and it is so true, Abraham was a man of tents and altars. Set up an altar, perform the sacrifice, worship God. Move the tent, set up an altar, perform the sacrifice, worship God. Uh, Move the tent, set up an altar, right? This, this guy was about, uh, you know, living in a, you know, continuous camp out and worshiping the Lord everywhere that he went. 
unattached from this world when he had all of the capacity to make amazing for himself. And he did none of that. It's a great example. Great example in all. And and tell me, tell me Jesus was any different, right? I mean, all of these lying false teachers that, you know, one of them says, Jesus was incredibly wealthy. And no, no, Jesus was impoverished and he lived that way continuously. So many things that give us that indication when, you know, wealthy man is saying, I'll come follow you. And he's saying, hey, I hate to break it to you, but, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't know where he's going to lay his head uh, tonight. You know, later when they're talking about Judas uh, being dismissed by Jesus to go betray him, uh, they were so accustomed to Jesus giving his money away, any money that came into the ministry, uh, that they presumed Judas was going out to take care of the poor. You know, we've got a little money, go feed some people. We've got a little money, go go see this person. You know, got a little money, uh, let's go make sure this person has what they need. Always, if it's coming in, it's going out. He was truly, you know, a prophetic nonprofit organization. Jesus, Jesus exemplified this attitude of not being attached to this world, being sojourners, I'm begging you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. I don't know if any of us in this room have been in active war. You know, um, I, I never have. Uh, I've, I've, uh, you know, been in volatile situations, um, violent encounters. Uh, you know, not that I was uh, perpetuating them, but I've been around violent uh, people and circumstances, and man, what it does to your soul. It, it is horrifying, and, you know, the thought of being in violent confrontation. And that's that's what he's saying here, this, this begging, this urgency. Uh, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that this man is just pouring every ounce of himself into this plea. And why? Because he couples it with war. You know, the, 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 the lusts of our flesh war against our soul. So many people w- would be wise to learn that. They entertain the lusts. They, they cave in to the lusts. They allow the lusts. And, and they've bought the concept of this is non-threatening. You know, this is this is not right. Yes, I understand it to be a sin, but it's not that big of a sin. No, no idea that what it's doing, you know, uh, it's a band I used to listen to years ago um, uh, wrote a song called "Enveloping Python," and uh, they just talk about how some people have pets like that, and and they they grow callous to the danger. Until that thing's got you in a choker hold, <laughs> you know, the strength, the size, uh, there's very serious concern in, uh, in, in toying with and playing with things. It can eventually consume you and destroy you. I, I've had countless conversations with men and women who have sins and they are wide and varied, you know, can be the sin of selfish ambition, 
right? We so often think of like drug addiction. I've had those conversations, you know, pornography, you know, adultery. Sure, I've had those conversations. You know, I've sat and pleaded with people about, you know, you're letting your business become your God. And you can let this go too far. And it will destroy you. And then they sit with me weeping and sobbing convulsively a year later, five years later, a decade later, when they've lost their children and they've lost their spouse. And, and now they're even losing their business right? because they didn't make Jesus Christ the king of their life. They didn't make him the priority, right? They didn't hear him say, they didn't hear me say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Instead, let the obsession grow. Whatever it might be. So we always look at the gross ones, right? Oh, you're a heroin addict. Oh, see, I told you that was bad. Oh, you know, you're, you're committing adultery. I told you and here it is. You know, the ones that people so very often miss that are so subtle and you let it grow and you fed it and you gave into it and now look what it's producing in your life. Had to have, had to pursue and then it became this monstrous thing that, that had you by the neck. War, it wars against your very soul. I'm begging you. I'm begging you as sojourners and pilgrims. You're, you're a sojourner. You're a pilgrim. This isn't your home, right? Th think about this. Like, like jump back to Abraham and Lot, the thing I just described from a few different directions, right? And, and here's Lot, and they're both prospering tremendously in the Lord, the blessing of the Lord, right? So much so that there's conflict between the shepherds and then the flocks. And you know what, Lot? Um, you know, let's just separate so that we can continue to prosper. What direction would you like to go? I would like to move towards that very sinful city. I would like to move towards, I'm not going to go live in that sin. I'm not going to go live in that sin. I'd just like to get closer to it. Right? You turn the page, the very next thing you're hearing is Lot's not only in the city, right? He's in charge. He's, he's, he's already got a position of authority. He's, he's gone from the great blessing of the Lord to move towards the sin to now he has a position of authority inside that organization. And, and then watch, boom, 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 the deterioration. Right? I mean, think about how heartbreaking the loss is. The city's gone. Wife is gone. Daughters are getting him blasted on alcohol and committing incest with him. My goodness, man. How far have you fallen from the place of God's great abundance in your life? You know, by foc just focusing on the wrong thing. You made this world your home, right? You were supposed to be a tent dweller like your uncle. You're supposed to be a man of tents and altars. <laughs> you know, that's what you should have been doing. Follow your uncle's example. Build, you know, live in the tent, build an altar. Just, you know, even if you don't get it, just keep doing what that guy's doing. 
You can recognize the fruitfulness. You can recognize the blessing of the Lord. You can recognize the righteousness in the man's life. Just imitate him. And instead, no, I'm going to move towards that which is sinful. You know, examples of conversation. You know, Pastor Will, I just really, I mean, do I have to wait uh, for marriage before I have sex with my, you know, girlfriend? I mean, is is marijuana actually, you know, a sin? Is is this a sin? Look, if you're asking me, very much so, Edna. If you're if a person is asking, right? Look, the person the person who doesn't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit is just going to march straight off into that, and you're going to have to go get them and be like, "Hey, are you aware this is sinful?" The person that has to like, no, I'd like to go. Well, you know what? I'll go ask the pastor first. You've, you're demonstrating that you know this is wrong. You, you, you are presenting the case that the Holy Spirit is convicting you, so just cut it out. Turn around. Stop proceeding in that direction. Begging you. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's sort of odd, but you know, the, the, when the Gentiles, when the unbelievers say, this guy's a crackpot, this guy, he's wicked. You want to stay away from that Christian? Well, why, why do I want to stay away? All he does is go to church. All he does is talk about Jesus. This guy won't ever you know, drink with you, use drugs with you, sleep around. You know, these are their accusations. This is how they speak evil. He won't cheat on his taxes. Well, you know, he, he won't even cheat with you in business. <laughs> you know, you could be cutting corners and making an extra buck. This guy won't do it. You know, the accusations that they have are they, they don't like you because of your righteousness. Man. I worked at this place years ago where huge contracts and uh, they have all these different jobs and there are so many hours assigned to the job. And um, like if if you've finished all this stuff and basically you have nothing to do, they, they the Christians, supposed Christians who helped me get the job on this job site are like, well, just go look at the hours board and see what jobs still have hours and assign yourself some hours out of those. Yeah, but I'm not working on those jobs. Yeah, but there's free hours there. So I would show up in the morning and say, what do you have me to do? And they give me my punch list and I go do that and I come back to the supervisor and say, I finished that. Has anything come up in the couple hours that it's taken me to do that? Uh, yeah, go do this one thing. Go do that. Takes 10, 15 minutes, a half hour. Come back, say, I finished that. Anything else? No. And then that whole conversation. You should just, I think, I think the electrical has a whole bunch of hours left on it. You should go do some of those. And I would just go downstairs and punch out and leave. So now ownership and management is coming to me and saying, uh, hey, man, you left yesterday before lunch. Yeah, I did everything. There were no Everybody else stayed. They build hours. Yeah, you'll have to talk to them. And everybody's mad at me. Why? Because I'm not going to rip off our clients. 
Okay, you you want to do that? That's your business. I can't do that. I can't go home at night with the paycheck in my hand and live with myself. You know, the second day they confronted me with that, I said, I think it's going to be better if I just quit this job. And they literally said, yeah, it is going to be better if you just quit this job. That was owners and management told me that. And I was like, okay. And I quit. And they're all like, oh, you're an idiot. You know, thinking I'm going to suffer. Very next day, I had a job. You know, I went home early. Said to my wife, quit my job. You know, before that, a phone call and this, that, one or the other. You know, I got before I go to bed that night, I got a place to go to work. And I get up the next morning and go and start my training with a new job. Why? Because Christ is my provider. They're going to speak evil of us. Let it be because we're tent dwellers and and altar builders. We worship Jesus Christ and we live as though we're not attached to this world. Amen? Makes sense to us? So uh, we'll pick up at verse 13 uh, next week. So that's the time we have. Why don't we stand and we'll pray? Father, we are grateful for your love and your ministry the way you care for us, the way you reach out to us. Help us to be people that are truly surrendered to you, Lord, that are waiting upon you with our lives. Lord, we, we want to see you working in us. Lord, take us into those relationships where our conversation is needed, where we could speak to people and share our faith with people and lead them into your kingdom, Lord. We, we could be presumptuous and, and go and, and drive people crazy, Lord, but we, we like it when it's effective and right and orchestrated by you. Use us. Lord, we're, we're asking for those opportunities that we could take this message and serve your kingdom as the holy priesthood, that more people could become part of uh, this nation, this kingdom, this generation that we've been reading about. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.